Well, again, I welcome you here, and once again, welcome to those of you over in the venue. Blessings to all of you that help make that uh, just a, a great place to worship the Lord. And again, those of you that are watching online, we're grateful that you're with us. In your program, before I get into this, do want to just make reference of uh, one, one thing, and they, they are out at the kiosks out here, and that is uh, fighting for your marriage, which begins next Sunday at 9 a.m., and it's a class that's led by a team of people, uh, Pastor Scott Miller and his wife, and um, it's 10 weeks long, and there's a number of you in this room here over in the venue, probably watching online or whatever, and you, you need to invest 10 weeks into your marriage. And I, I guarantee you, by the time that the class is done, by the time you've gone through 10 weeks of looking at some just great biblical principles, talking, that your marriage is gonna be in a way different place. But some of you need to make that investment, and uh, the, the, some of the team will be out here at our ministry wall, and you ought to, you ought to take a, a advantage of that. If you're, in a, if you're here with us uh, for the first time, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace where we're going through the, the book of Ephesians together, or the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians at Ephesus. He wrote the letter about uh, 30 years after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter said, most of all, <clears throat> you must understand this. No prophecy of Scripture ever comes from the prophet's own interpretation. No prof prophecy ever came from what a person wanted to say, but people led by the Holy Spirit spoke words from God. In other words, the Bible is not the product of, of human effort. The Holy Spirit came upon the, the writers of this great book in a very unique and special way. And those writers in their own personalities and in their own vernacular wrote the, the, the very words that God wanted them to write. They just didn't wake up one day and say, you know, I think I'm gonna write something. No, the Holy Spirit came upon them in a very unique and special way because God wanted to make sure that we had his words to us. God wanted to make sure that we had his words for, for, for us. God's word, the, the Bible, is, is perfect. It's inerrant, and it would have to be if it was actually written by the, the Holy Spirit. In fact, many times the Holy Spirit would come upon the people that wrote this, and the Holy Spirit would have them write things that didn't make any sense at that time. They may have been prophetic things, things that weren't gonna take place until the future. And I just have to believe that as these writers may have pinned the words, and maybe they went back over and read what they had pinned, I'm sure there must have been moments when they went, what? What is, it? what? And God gave them peace that you just leave it just like that. It make, makes no sense today. But in a year or 10 or a thousand years from now, guess what? It will make perfect sense. Well, all this to say that the Holy Spirit moved in the life of Paul and had him write the book of Ephesians or the letter to the, the Christians in Ephesians. And, and uh, this is the letter that we've been looking at over the last uh, two months here at, at Big Valley Grace. And before I, I get into today's message, I wanna make sure that we're all on the same, same page, especially for those of you that are, are visiting with us, okay? In chapter one, um, Paul gave us a bunch of really weighty thoughts or truths, and once again, when I say the word Paul, it's really the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just used Paul. But um, Paul tells us in chapter one that God has blessed us and loved us and chosen us, adopted us, sent his son Jesus to die for us. He made his wisdom available to us. He revealed the mysteries of his will to us. He gave us his Holy Spirit to live in us forever, which means that we have God's awesome power within us. 
Then when you get to chapter 2, Paul tells us that we were, we were worldly, we were under the influence of demonic powers, we were disobedient to God and his word, we were gratifiers of our sinful nature, we were objects of God's wrath, we were separated from God, we were without hope, we were without God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, kind of sums it up pretty good. Paul says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Verse four says, but God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us new life when he raised Christ from the dead. Beloved, we were dead spiritually. Yes, we were alive physically, our, our physical hearts were beating. But spiritually, we were dead. Our spiritual hearts had stopped beating, if you will. But God loved us so much that he brought us back to life. He gave us a, a, a brand new life. He made it possible for anyone to have a, a special relationship with him. And we had nothing to do with receiving this new life or this special life. It was simply offered to us as a free gift from God. God's love is so unbelievable that God just offers us this new life. It's free, absolutely free. Beloved, the, the love of God is one of the, the central themes of the Bible. You can't miss it. God said this to the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. When I was the, the youth pastor uh, here for a lot of years, uh, you know, there wasn't emails and there was not texting. You, you, you had to actually like mail letters, you know? And uh, one of the things that I did is I, I mailed lots of letters to lots of kids. I, I couldn't calculate the number of letters that I would have written and then sent off to kids. I, I couldn't calculate it out over you know, two decades. And I always used to sign the letters with this passage right here. Because I wanted these kids to know that they were loved by God. And that God was drawing them into a relationship with him or drawing them into a deeper relationship with him out of his loving kindness. I wanted them to know that. And part of the reason why I wanted them to know that is because I knew the stories of many of their lives. I knew how their earthly fathers had treated them. And I wanted them to know that it doesn't matter how your earthly fathers treated you. I want you to understand how your heavenly father treats you. I wanted them to know this truth about God. Romans chapter 5 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Beloved, you, you can't miss this unbelievable thing called God's love in the scriptures. In fact, not only does God tell us he loves us, but to use a modern day uh, term, talk is cheap, right? God demonstrated it. He showed us, hey, Rick, not only am I going to tell you that I love you, let me show you how much I love you. You're a sinner. You're separated from me. You don't even believe in me. And yet I'm going to send my precious son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, to come and live a perfect life for you and voluntarily go to a cross and die for you. The cross is one of these um, great symbols that just screams to the world that God loves you, God loves you, God cares about you. And is it any wonder that the world wants to make sure that that isn't seen anywhere? There are forces at work that want to make sure that things that remind us of God Remind us of God's love, his compassion. The world is working so hard to make sure these great symbols are stricken so that nobody would, would know anything about him. John put it this way, whoever does not love does not know God. <laughs> Why? Because, because God is love. 
Beloved, if you've truly entered into a relationship with Jesus, you'll love people. If, if Jesus Christ truly lives within you, if you're truly a follower of God, you, you don't have any choice. You're going to love other people. Galatians chapter 5 says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of having the Spirit of God within you is love. Jesus himself said, your love for one another will prove to the entire world that you're my disciples. Now, love isn't the only thing that will prove that you're one of Jesus' disciples. There are other things. But interesting that Jesus chose that. He said, it's your love. It'll be how you love people. Love is one of the outward signs that God truly lives within you. See? Now, Paul ends chapter 2 by telling us about the great unity that there is in Jesus Christ, that if you're a believer of Jesus, whether you're Jew or Gentile, wow, you, you are a part of something really uh, special. You're a part of God's family. You're a part of this amazing thing called God's church. And so, anyway, uh, that's what we've looked at so, so far. This is the backdrop, which is why Paul says this in our text today, Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 14, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious and limited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how wide and how deep God's love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to zero in on one little piece of our text today, okay? And I'm not even going to be able to, to cover it all. I'm, I'm thinking, I even went home last night again and wrestled around with um, whether I want to take one of these passages in here and uh, maybe talk about it next week instead of moving on. I'm still wrestling around with that, and I would ask you to pray for me as I seek the Lord's will in that, because there is, there's a piece of this that I would love to take you all through, but I'm just not going to have time to, to, to do it all here today, but I do want to zero in on one major thought. I want to talk about the inner man versus the outer man, okay? Look at verse 16 of our text. I pray, Paul says, from his glorious and limited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. One version says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Beloved, today I want to talk about the difference between the inner man, the inner being, and the outer man, because the better you understand these two, the more motivated you'll be to, to care for your inner man, to care for your inner being, to tend to your inner, your inner being. You see, you as a human being are more than just what you see in, in a mirror. A mirror only shows you what, what's on the outside. This morning, most of you, probably all of you, got up and at some moment you went to the mirror and you began to comb your hair, you began to put on makeup, you put on your earrings, you put on your watch. Everything that you did basically revolved around the outer man, the outer being. A mirror only shows you what's on the outside. That's it. And today in our world, um, we're, we're just obsessed with the outer man, the outer person. 
We're, we're, we're constantly trying to figure out how to put the right clothes on so the outer man looks good. Do we have the right rings on? Do we have the right watches on? Do we right, have the right necklaces on? Do I have the right shoes on? We paint our fingernails. We paint our toenails. We put rings on our, on our you know, fingers. We put rings on our toes. Uh, we, we, we are constantly trying to figure out how to make the outer man look good. I got the right glasses. Do I got all the right stuff? And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, necessarily. I'm thankful, so is your neighbor, that you got up and combed your hair, brushed your teeth. I mean, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but we all uh, uh, love the mirrors. I mean, they're everywhere. You get in your car, mirror here, two there. Your mirrors are just everywhere. You got them in your office. You walk into a bathroom. They're everywhere. And we're obsessed with the outer man. All you have to do is you can be at the mall and you can walk by a big glass window of some store and you look in the mirror and you, you know, you kind of look yourself, oh, you got to check yourself out for a second, right? I've told you before, you can take a group picture and once you see that picture, there's only one person you care about and that's you. You can look at everybody else, and if everybody else looks good and you have your eyes crossed or something weird, oh, that's a crap, get rid of that picture. Take another one. Why? Uh, the lighting's not good. No, it's just you don't look good. See, the outer man doesn't look very, very good. But I want you to understand something. There's far more to you than just the outer man. There's more to you than, than this. Paul says no good dwells in this, but wow, do we spend a lot of time on this. <laughs> it's almost unbelievable the amount of time we spend on this, the outer man. Health clubs springing up everywhere. Everybody's working out, making sure they got biceps and triceps and they got a six pack you know, abs and man, whoo, it, it is, you, you couldn't even calculate all of the time and energy and effort and money and stuff that's put in to the outer man. And like I said, some of that is legitimate. You, you, you need to, but you need to understand that you're way more than just what is on the outward. You, you have an inner man. It's your, it's your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions, it's where you feel, it's where you think, it's where you decide, it's where you relate to God, or it's where you relate to the demonic. Scripture calls it your spirit, or your soul, or your inner being. God, God has put his spirit into our inner being. He didn't put his spirit into our flesh. Paul said, again, no good dwells in our flesh. So the spirit is good, so it obviously can't be in our flesh. Because that is good. God does not put the spirit into the outer man. He puts the spirit, his spirit, his Holy Spirit, into the inner man. The inner being, if you will. The inner person. The reason why he gave you the spirit, the reason why he put that into the inner man is because that's, um, uh, that's the power source to overcome the craziness of the outer man. Let me tell you how important this is. Let me give you an illustration. I've, I've given it to you before. I want you to imagine I've got two dogs up here. Got two German shepherds. And one German shepherd, um, we're gonna feed it a couple times a day, it gets its alpo, you know, we're gonna give it water, we're gonna take it on walks and runs and all those kinds of things. But we're gonna keep, we're gonna keep this German shepherd super healthy, right? This German shepherd over here, we're, we're, we're gonna do things a little bit different. We're not gonna feed him for about a month. We're gonna give him very little water, we're gonna keep him inside of a cage. No exercise, nothing. So you can imagine that about after a month or so, nothing but ribs, he's you know, looking crummy and weak, and 
just nothing. But this dog over here, man, strong, healthy. He's been getting its poe, you know, and drinking water and running, man, whoo. Then what we're gonna do is after a month or six weeks of this, we're gonna let those dogs fight each other. Well, it's obvious who wins, right? This dog over here, it was well fed. It was taken care of. It got water. It went on runs and went on walks. This, this dog over here didn't have a chance because it wasn't well fed. Beloved, <laughs> your outer man is well fed. It gets three square meals a day. Gets water, exercised. You, you can't live in the world and not have the outer man in fantastic condition. It's ready to go. It's the inner man. You tell me how healthy your inner man is and I'll tell you just what will take place when the outer man and the inner man get into a war with one another. Some of you right now are going, whoa, 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 whoa. Already the Holy Spirit has just woke you up to something. You see, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We now have this light shining in our hearts, this light, the, 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 you know, the Holy Spirit, greatest power source known to mankind. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not ourselves. See, what Paul is saying is, is that the outer man is like a, like a, uh, a clay jar, and if you know anything about clay jars, even today, forget about that culture, you know, you drop it, just cracks, breaks. This is just, you know, unbelievably um, goofed up. And yet we have this great power within us. He went on to say this, Paul did in verse 16, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed, Every day, and hopefully that's true, hopefully every day your spirit within you, inside the jar, uh, the, the, the clay jar is being renewed every day. Hopefully the inner man's being renewed every day. Hopefully that's true, because these two are gonna fight. They're, they're gonna go at it, the inner and the outer. Our bodies are, are wasting away. And most of us in this room get that. Some of you are young, you're teenagers in here, and for you that doesn't make any sense. And we all understand that. When we were all teenagers, it didn't make any sense to us. But as we got older, I'm in my 50s now, guess what? I'm watching this body that is the headquarters of sin just decay. But the inner being, that's a different story. Live and well. Paul said this in 2 Timothy. He said, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came to me. Everyone abandoned me. May it, may it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety. Well, how did the Lord stand with him? Was the Lord physically there? No. The Lord was in him. In his inner being. In his inner man. That's how the Lord was standing with him. In Romans chapter 7, I think we see these two powers, if you will, the outer man, the inner man, uh, at war with one another in a very real and practical way. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he said, I don't really understand myself. And I know Sam Gibson can say amen to that. We don't understand Sam Gibson, do we? I don't. I've known him for 30 years, 40 years. But here's the deal. I don't understand myself either at times. And if you were honest about your life, Christian, you would go, man, I, I get that. This is the great apostle Paul writing, and I think he's writing this at the apex of his ministry as an apostle. 
Man, there are times I don't understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, at times, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good, so I'm not the one doing the wrong. It's the sin that lives in me. It's the sin in the outer man. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right. The inner man within me wants to do what is right, but man, I just can't pull it off at times. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I, I, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, then I'm not really the one doing the wrong. It's the sin that lives in my outer man. I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably at times do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will set me free from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is, my mind, in my mind, I really want to obey God's laws in my inner being. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin at times. And here we see the great apostle Paul in deep, deep conflict, don't we? I mean, Paul obviously had a deep love and knowledge of God, and he had a deep love and knowledge of God's laws, and nobody would question his commitment to live out those laws. I mean, he had an incredible desire to live a godly life, yet we see in this text that he just couldn't pull it off at times. We see a man that wanted to do what was good, and he wanted to do what was right and holy, yet at times he, he did the very opposite. He did the very evil that he hated because sin kept tripping him up. Sin kept dragging him down at times. And for those of us that truly know the Lord, this also describes our life at times, doesn't it? I have no doubt, those of you that know the Lord in here over there or watching on the internet, if you know Christ, you have a desire to, to, to follow the Lord and do the Lord's will and all that kind of stuff. I have no questions with that. But wow, sometimes you fail miserably, don't you? You may not tell your spouse. You may not tell your kids. You may not tell your parents. You won't tell your pastor. But we all at times can go, man, Romans 7 sure applies to me too. You see, before you met Christ, when you were an unbeliever, you had only one nature, the, the flesh, the sin-filled nature, and you got this nature from Adam. It was your inheritance from Adam. It's called your Adamic nature. It's also called your sinful nature, and everybody on planet Earth has it. We all have the Adamic nature. We all have the outer man and there was a time in all of our lives, there was a, a time in my life, a couple of decades, well, that was the only nature I had. Now, God had given me a conscience, so I would know right from wrong, but my conscience didn't have the power to overcome my sin. It just let me know that I was doing things that were wrong. The Bible tells us that your sinful nature or your Adamic nature is under the control of the most diabolical force on, on the planet. I want to take you back to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul said, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at work and those who are disobedient. That's a serious passage. Now in my few decades of being an unbeliever when all I had was a sinful nature, I never would have said, hey, I'm following the demonic. Never would have said that. But there's no question the clear teaching of the scriptures that I was. My outer man had a master. My outer man had a leader. My outer man was influenced by the demonic. But there came a moment when everything changed, or there came a moment when I invited God to be a part of my life. There came a moment when you invited God to be a part of your life. And if that decision was genuine, God did exactly what you asked him to do. He came into your life. He came into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came and invaded your soul. 
which now means that you as a Christian now have two natures within you. You've got your old Adamic sin-filled nature, everybody has that, that's your outer man, and now you have the, the new Christ-filled nature within you. And beloved, this created a weird dilemma within your body because your new nature wants to do what is right. It wants to follow the Lord. It wants to obey the laws of God. It's under the control of God. But the old sin-filled nature has a different agenda. It wants to be the boss. It wants to do its, its own thing. Your old sin-filled nature, the outer man, likes things the way it used to be. And so there came this moment when... Um, all of a sudden, man, I was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. My outer man had a, had a ruler, had a master. Now I've got an inner man. I've got the spirit within me, and it has another agenda. Romans chapter 8 gives us an incredible thought here. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. The outer man that we all have, <laughs> it doesn't like anything about God, nothing. The outer man wants to make sure that the last thing you do is read scripture, follow scripture, memorize scripture. The outer man doesn't want you to have anything to do with Christ, nothing. It's hostile to the things of God. And imagine this. Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has invaded the body. So you have this unbelievable tension at times that goes on just within your own being, if you will. Unbelievers, those that have the Adamic nature only have little of any sensitivity to sin or especially the weightiness of sin. Un unbelievers don't worry about obeying God or obeying God's laws. Their primary worry in life is themselves. They do whatever they want to do. They're the boss of their own life. They don't give God a second choice, a second ch uh, thought. And if you're here and you don't know Christ or you're over in the venue and you don't know Christ, you know what? That's a reality, isn't it? Obviously, you don't believe in God. So who does that put in charge of your life? <laughs> the outer man. You. That's who's in charge. But us as followers of Christ, it's, it's basically just the opposite. We're hypersensitive to the things of God. We should be. We're hypersensitive to God's laws. We're, 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 we're hypersensitive to the things of God. And we should be because we believe in God. We, we do believe in God's laws. We, we do believe that God's spirit is living within us, right? For those of us that are true followers of Christ, our theme verse could be Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Because the last thing we want to do as Christians is to live our lives in such a way that God would be grieved, right? I mean, that really could be the theme verse for us. The last thing that we want to do is do anything that's contrary to this. I mean, we as believers, we loathe sin. We despise sin, right? We only want to please God. We only want to do God's will. But like the great apostle Paul said, there are times when we just can't pull it off. There are times we say yes to the things that we know are wrong and evil. And there are times that we do things that are, that are wrong and evil, right? And all this is because this side of heaven, we still have our sin-filled nature. We still have the outer man. You've got to deal with it. Let me share with you two things about your old nature, the outer man. Number one, your old nature only wants to do one thing. One thing, and that is sin. That's all it wants to do. It's hostile to the things of God. All your old nature wants to do. The only thing the flesh wants to do, because Paul said no good dwells in it. All it wants to do is sin. That's it. And number two, your old nature will never change. Never. 
You can't whip your old nature into shape. You can't discipline it into shape. You can't do it. It's absolutely impossible. Now, you can make the outer man look good. Amazing what makeup will do and jewelry will do. It's amazing what combing your hair will do. It's amazing what putting, you know, fake teeth in will do. It's amazing how we can make the outer man really look good, but it will never change. You cannot transform the outer man. That's why it dies and we put it in a pine box six feet under the ground. It cannot be changed. And all it wants to do is sin. That's it. That's all. I just boiled it down for you. So what does all this mean? It means as long as you live here on earth, there are going to be times when you have some old sinful desires that'll come up in your life. You, 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 you just can't get away from them. We're stuck with it. So what does this mean? It means that you gotta learn how to win the battle. It means you gotta learn how to win the civil war that rages within your soul at times. And the only way to do that is by strengthening your inner man. The only way to do that is by making sure that the other dog is healthy. Dog number one, the outer man's already healthy. It's ready to go to war at any moment. And if you wanna be able to win the inner battle, you gotta make sure that the inner man is well tended to, is well fed, well taken care of. See? Let, me, let me take you back to what should be or what could be our theme verse. Ephesians chapter four says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, right? First Thessalonians chapter five says, do not put out or quench the, 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 the Spirit's fire. Beloved, when, when you grieve or quench the Holy Spirit within you, you cut off God's power to your life. And when you cut off God's power to your life, what that does is just puts the outer man in complete control of your life, even as a believer. You have these two natures, outer man, inner man. You got them. And when you choose to grieve the Holy Spirit, when you choose to quench the, the, the Spirit's life within you, it's like I'm not feeding the inner man anymore. And that just puts the other dog in control of your life. You see, the stronger the inner man is, the greater your ability to overcome and conquer temptation and sin, disease and suffering, grief and death, selfishness and worldliness, the devil and the demonic, troubles and trials. Beloved, every day we as Christians face all kinds of crummy things, hard things, disappointing things, evil things, sinful things, and what we need to overcome them in a way that honors the Lord is we have to have a strong inner man. Every marriage will go through difficult times and what we need to overcome those difficult times in a way that honors the Lord is we have to have a strong inner man. Guarantee you, there's never been one marriage that's ever blown up, not one marriage where there's been a divorce when both couples, the man and the woman, both were tending to the inner man within them. They were both making sure that the inner man was well fed. Never. Doesn't happen. You show me a couple whose marriage has fallen apart, and I'll show you a couple where one or both of them, somebody has forgot to tend to the inner man. And so the outer man is in charge. Selfishness. Whatever, 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 whatever it looks like. See. And Paul knew this. He, he knew that we didn't possess within ourselves all that it would take to fulfill God's plan, so he gets on his knees and he prays that our inner man would be strengthened with God's power. Maybe he remembered what God said through the great prophet Isaiah in, in chapter 41. God said, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. 
Beloved, this is truth. God is with you. God lives within you. He, he, you, you, you have his power within you, which means you have the ability to overcome whatever comes into your life. You have the ability to uh, win the dog fight, if you will, with the outer man. The issue is, is what are you doing to tend to the inner man? Take care of the inner man. Paul said, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It doesn't matter what the outer man does. It doesn't matter what that dog does. I can do anything with Christ in me. Christ. I want you to look at verse 17 real quick. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. You see that? One version says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, Paul isn't praying for them to receive Christ as their Savior. They already know Christ as their Savior. The word dwell there or the, the phrase make his home in the Greek language conveys the idea of settling down or taking up permanent residence, okay? If I go on a vacation and my wife and I are going to go away for a week, we fill up uh, some luggage bags, and when we show up at the hotel, they take us to the hotel room, and um, we're not dwelling there. We're, we're not going to stay there permanently. In fact, the hotel will let me know. Checkout in a week is at 11. In other words, don't, don't get too comfortable here. You're not dwelling here. Don't make this your home. And then when that day comes when it is time for checkout, I always get a phone call. Hey, don't forget, sir. Hope you had a great time. Checkout's at 11. This word dwell here or make your home has the idea in the Greek language that this is a permanent deal. This is, this is really... Uh, uh, an interesting kind of relationship that we, we have here. What Paul is praying for here is that when you really understand that, that, that God lives in you and that God's power is in you, you'll have no problem allowing Jesus to settle down in your life. You'll have no problem allowing Jesus to dwell or be at ease in your life. So I've gone to homes before where I've spent the night in homes. I've gone to speak somewhere and I go to somebody's home and it's, it's, it's awkward. It's not my house. I, I, I feel kind of weird. Okay, this is the bathroom I can use. Okay, that's fine. Um, I don't know if I can go into the kitchen and just grab some turkey. You know, I, you know, you kind of, even if they say, hey, mi casa, su casa. It, it doesn't matter what they say. It feels a little bit weird. It's not my home. I'm not at ease there. But when you truly, what Paul's saying here is, when you really understand all of these great truths about God, when you understand about his great power, listen, you'll be at ease with him being in your life. You'll want him to dwell in your life. Jesus said this in John 14, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Isn't that beautiful? Let me ask you a question. If you know the Lord as your Savior, you've invited Jesus into your life, have you allowed him to settle down and take control of your life? Is he really dwelling in your life, or is it a little bit uncomfortable? Yeah, yeah, you let him in, but you only, here's your room and here's your bathroom and, 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 and you're me casa, su casa. But really, don't get too much in my business. Are you at ease with him being in your life? Or is there something in your life that makes the relationship uncomfortable? Are there some places in your home? You see, in my home, um, my wife and I and my kids, they're at ease there. It's our home. Our kids, go, you can walk in, you know. If, if mom and dad's room is door is shut kind of a thing, 
stay out of there for, for a moment. But most of the time, that door's open. They can go in any closet they want. Any place. Woo, it's all yours. And that's, that's what Paul wants. He's saying, look, let Jesus into your life to the degree that whatever is going on in your life, it's okay. You're welcome in any room, Jesus. I don't have any closets. I don't have any places that you can't dwell. You can make your, in fact, it's your house now. Are there times that you wish that God didn't dwell in your life? John the Baptist said this in John chapter three, said he, that's Jesus, must become greater and greater and greater, and I must become less and less and less. Let me, let me ask you a question. Are you okay with that statement? Oh, yeah. There, there, there's one that'll get the flesh wrinkled up, right? The outer man. Are you okay with Jesus becoming greater and greater and greater in your life and in your family and in your business or whatever it is, and you becoming less and less and less, or, well, you know, I, I know that's in the Bible, but there are some places I want Jesus to become greater and greater, but there are some places, frankly, I don't even want him. I don't know, only you can answer that. So how, how can you, uh, you know, keep the inner man strengthened? Let me, let me give you four things, okay? Just very quick, I'm going to run through them. I've shared these with you before. I've shared them with our men before. I love them. Usually once a year I share them, and I thought this was the time to pull them out. I really like this. It's easy to remember. How can you make sure you keep this dog over here healthy so that when there's a fight, you got a chance? Number one, give the Lord the first thoughts of every day. I had a friend send this to me a number of years ago, and I just really, really loved it. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you know, get up, go get some coffee. I don't care what you do, but make sure that there's a moment where the first thing you do is you fill your mind with the Word of God. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 5, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and I wait in expectation. In other words, there's a moment when you get into the Word of God, you have a conversation with God, you pray about your day, your family, your wife, your husband, your kids, whatever all that is. In other words, first thing in the morning, feed, the, uh, feed this dog, will you? Give, give this dog first shot at a meal. Number two, give the Lord the first day of every week. Hebrews 10 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. In other words, make this moment right here, church, an important moment. I, I can guarantee you right now, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, your inner being, woo! The fellowship of believers singing these great songs, praying, hearing the word of God, Wow! There's nothing like that. Your inner being is just pumped up. There's something very unique about this meal right here. You ought to make a, a commitment that I'm going to give the Lord the first day of every week. Number three, give the Lord the first part of every paycheck. Woo! That's the one where the flesh gets all goofed up, huh? I knew you'd get to money, Pastor. That's what the outer man's screaming right now at some of you. Jesus said, you show me where this is, your wallet, and I'll show you where this is. Now, you wish it was the other way around, don't you? But Jesus said, no, no, no. Where your shekels are, that's where this goes. And if you're not putting any shekels towards the things of God, this ain't going there. So give the Lord the first moments of your day. Give the Lord the first day of every week. Give the Lord the first part of every paycheck. And number four, give the Lord the first consideration in every decision. And I'm talking about every decision. Acknowledge him. It'll just, it'll keep feeding the inner man. When you say, God, man, I got a vacation coming up in six weeks. What do you think we ought to do? What should we do, God? Get together with your spouse. Hey, we're going to go on vacation, God. You, I'm going to give you first shot at this. Is there a place you want us to go? Is there something you want us to do? 
And some of you are going, well, that's just crazy. Why would I ask God for that? Because he cares about your life? <laughs> Look, I, I got a daughter that's 22. I'm weighing in on everything in her life. Even if she doesn't like it. I don't care. I'm weighing in. Even if, even if she doesn't ask me to weigh in, I'm weighing in. Because I'm her, I'm her father. I don't care how old she is, and I, I, it doesn't matter to me. No, I'm entitled to an opinion. I don't have any vote in her life. She's an adult, but I can have an opinion. Why don't you allow your Heavenly Father to weigh in on anything? And he may say, you know what, I don't care, man. Go here, go there, pick one. I'll bless your life. I'll bless your, your, your vacation. Okay. But maybe he might say, hey, you know what, I got a thought. What about this? What about this? Let the Lord have first shot at anything you're going to do, basically. So you give the Lord the first thoughts of every day. You give the Lord the first day of every week. You give the Lord the first part of every paycheck. And you give the Lord the first consideration in every decision. The Bible says, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, right? Seek him, his kingdom, his word. God, I, I'm making a decision on something. Where am I supposed to go to school? Where am I supposed to go to? Should I date this guy? Should I not date this guy? Whatever, it all, is, whatever all those things are, let him have first shot at it. You know, seek out. Maybe, maybe God's got some wisdom that he wants to share with you about whatever it is. And I guarantee you put these four simple things into practice, probably the inner man will be better fed. Because, man, all of a sudden, man, every morning, once a week, there's a special moment. You're taking your resources and you're letting him in on everything that's going on in your life. Probably make a huge difference in your life. Why don't you stand up? Over in the venue, stand up, okay? Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for um, uh, last night and today. I, I've just really enjoyed being with my family. I, I love this group of people. And I'm thankful, Lord, for the music that feeds the, the inner man, the inner being. I'm thankful for the fellowship, the word. God, thank you for how good you are. I'm looking forward, God, to this afternoon and just getting together and sitting around and seeing people, saying hi to people, eating some food, watching kids play, have fun out here, Lord. And God, help us to tend to the inner man, the inner being. That's where the power is. God, I'm just really grateful. Just really grateful for you, Lord. Bless us as we go now, and I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you guys. Live for Jesus.